Many of you have listened to the podcast episode where I interviewed Neil about his brother Dave's death in January of 2019, just a couple of months ago. But eight days before Dave passed away, we recorded this interview where I asked Neil all about his brother Steve, who died after taking his own life in 1995. Neil and I discussed what it was like for him to lose a brother to suicide, how that affected his family, what he learned from this loss, and how to support and help others going through grief. We wanted to note a couple of things. That first of all, if anyone has said, I'm sorry for your loss to Neil or me recently in reference to Dave's death, that we feel your love and that this interview was more of a reflection of what Neil's grief was like as a 13-year-old. We also wanted to mention that if you found this podcast because you're seeking help because of suicidal thoughts or you're struggling at all with thoughts of taking your own life, you can make an anonymous call to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255. All right, tonight I have a very special guest with very me. Very special yes. guest. Neil loves to say special, unique, and beautiful. So yeah, that's what that. you are. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, tonight, Neil is, I say tonight because we just got our kids down. It's just like such a glorious thing when all three children are in their rooms, the lights are off, the doors are closed. It's a very special time of day for yeah. us. Yes, it is. We often high five each other after they're all finally in bed and asleep. Anyway, so he is here to talk to us about something that it's a tricky subject to even like introduce because it's, but it needs to be talked about. So Neil is going to talk to us about suicide and how that affected his life and how we can just have a better understanding of how to help people and how to have compassion and understanding for those who have a family member or a loved one or close friend um, who goes through this. So um, is there anything else you want to say in the intro Um, as we kick this off? Basically, anything that I would, yeah, I don't know, just kind of the disclaimer, anything that I would say is from my own experience. This is just speaking from me. Um, everyone has a different experience and different story in relation to the subject or the topic. And there's a lot of different circumstances that go mm-hmm. into this. So this is just my experience and my thoughts and, you know, how it's affected me. So okay. that's it. Perfect. Okay, so let's take, let's just go all the way. I want to go back probably farther than you think I'm going to go back. But I want to know like what your first memories of your brother Steve are. What are are your first things that you remember about like your childhood together? Um, And Steve is? Steve is my brother. He's, uh, he's four, let me, six years older than me. Okay. So... I've got two real brothers, and then I've got three half-brothers. My mom was married, had three kids, got divorced, um, remarried my dad, and then had three more kids. I'm the youngest of the three, so I've got two older brothers. Um, My brother Dave is closest to me. He's four years older than me, and then Steve was two years older than Dave. So six years apart. Six years, yeah, six years apart. So... um, And if you haven't caught this, Neil's the true baby of the family. Yeah, (laughs) I guess so. Spoiled, I guess, is what everyone would say. But so, yeah, Steve and Dave were super close and really good friends, and I always kind of wanted to tag along and hang out. So my first memories is, like, 
just wanting to go everywhere with those guys and hang out with him. And they were like, I looked up to those guys so much and, and still do. And so wanted to just engage and be a part of anything that they were a part of and just really, really looked up to him. So yeah, earliest memories of Steve, super, super, just really kind hearted, um, nice, kind hearted person. Um, really, I don't know, concerned for others and, you know, just like loved animals, wanted to be a veterinarian at one point, like just a really good, nice, um, charitable person. And always, you know, took time to, to hang out with me and play with me as a, as a little kid. And, you know, was, was just a really, just a really good older brother in, in general. And so at, like when you, earliest memories, was it basically just you three or were the other half brothers kind of hanging around to the house? Yeah, they were, they were kind of in and out. They were in their early twenties when we were growing up, early to mid twenties. So they were kind of like home from college or, you know, back and forth, but. But mostly it was you three. Yeah. Kind of like growing up together, like doing stuff together. Yeah. Okay. And then I lived close to my cousins as well. They lived around the corner from me. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, they'd all kind of hang out together. And you guys um, were all kind of the same age, right? Close. Yeah. I had a couple of cousins that were my age or a year or so older. We kind of hung out. And then there was a, a the next set of cousins that were about Dave and Steve's age would all kind of hang out together. So Okay, cool. So that kind of sets up like the memories of your relationship with your brother Steve. What was it like as you got older? Like not not so much as a little kid, but kind of more into like your, you know, getting into like eight, nine, ten, eleven, like that whole age. That um, it was, I think, even even a little closer about that about that time. Like in my family, in general. Growing up, my mom used to joke, we kind of like that we lived in a hotel that everyone would just come in and eat their food and then go back to their rooms and hang out. Like no one would really talk a lot. But Family of boys. Yeah, all boys, six boys. So Steve was the one. He actually treated me like an equal, like, you know, like he, there was no sense of him being, you know, I'm the older brother. I don't talk to you. I don't hang out. He would hang out with me. We'd, I'd go downstairs and shoot pool with him and he would just open up to me about whatever was going on in his life, you know, as though, you know, we're all on equal ground and, and on the same page and equal relationship. And he just treated me as though he was, I was one of his friends. And so it was really cool for me to kind of get an insight into his life and different things and, and to have that type of a relationship with him. It was really cool. You know, I, I really looked up to him a lot. And, you know, that was kind of at at that point, um, you know, the member of the family that I probably, you know, knew the most about or had the relationship with that was, you know, consistently, you know, we were communicating and hanging out and, and, you know, I guess close and in that way. Yeah. Okay. So I think we should, I forget too, that people are listening to this and they know nothing about your life. So Set a tiny bit of background up to with your parents. Like, tell us like what they're up to, what they're like. So I grew up a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, 
My parents were very devout. My dad was converted in uh, Samoa. He's actually was born in New Zealand and then moved over to the uh, Samoa and then eventually the United States, married my mom. It was the coolest accent. <laughs> yeah, everyone thinks it's English. It's actually, it's, it's, uh, he's a Kiwi. He's from New Zealand. But yeah, very devout, very strong. Gospel was taught in the home and just really good people. Very, Your very, mom? my mom, you know, grew up in, in, uh, you know, Provo, Utah, just um, came from awesome. a dairy farm. My, <laughs> so just, just really nice, very kind, loving uh, Hard person. Hardworker. Hardworking. Both my parents are school teachers, um, worked all the way up until retirement. Uh, we, we weren't super well off, but we had what we needed. And um, they were just good, just good people. Okay, that's helpful. And then during that kind of time of life, like, what are you up to? Like, what are your interests? What are your, like, around, like, 12, let's move into, I guess, like, 12, 13-ish? I just wanted to do anything that my brothers were doing. Like, I just looked up to them. Any chance that I could kind of, you know, be a part of, we all, we love to play pool together. We'd go ride bikes. We raced BMX bikes, you know, as, as kids. We played football. Just wearing a lot into a lot of those kind of sports and and hanging out and boy stuff that you do, and that was that was kind of that was me. You know, I I loved, yeah, I was, I was really in just hanging out with my friends and riding my bike and um, just just being a kid. Okay, so now tell us about Steve. Tell me like what you remember about maybe you just kind of set up the the set the stage for what was going on in his life, like what, you know, what he was dealing with, what his life was like. So he was, like I said before, just a really good kid, really kind, really just a good person, really cared for others. He he had kind of a follower type personality, like, you know, and so he would depending on who he was around, he would, he would follow or, or fall in with whatever was going on. Um, and so I think I, I remember, I, you know, things started to change for him, maybe middle school, like eighth, ninth grade, probably closer to ninth grade. I think he just started, I don't, you know, I can't really say exactly what happened. I, I don't really remember, but I think he just started to just get into a little bit of mischief, a little bit of trouble. Um, I remember the first time that one of my friends was like, hey, man, I saw I saw Steve smoking. And I was just like, what? I'm like, no, you didn't. You know, I, I just it just didn't connect in my mind. I'm like, no way. My like Steve doesn't smoke. He wouldn't smoke. So I think I started to see some some things happen in his life. And then I think he kind of progressively started to get into into some trouble. Um, the first thing that I can really remember, I think he, you know, he overdosed. He got he got like an over the counter, like an anti nausea medicine or something like that, and and overdosed on it with some kids from from high school. And I just remember him, I think the police brought him back at like five in the morning and to say, they're like, Hey, we found your son, you know, jumping over fences and running from people and, you know, brought him back home. And he was just, he was kind of out of his mind. And that was, I think the first of, of 
many experiences where things were just kind of crazy and out of hand. How old were you when you when that happened? That um, first room. Oh, I was probably experience. in like third or fourth grade, maybe maybe fourth okay. grade. Started to see that happen, maybe third. Um, so I don't well, that would know. make sense if he was in ninth grade and you were in third. Yeah. So so about then, and then I like it, things just started to just kept just trouble just kept happening. I think, um, you know, just getting into drugs and getting into to different things. Uh, you know, started partying, drinking, alcohol. And is he like hiding this from your parents or is he kind of doing it like they, like they, kind they of know, I deliberate, mean, like they, like it's not a secret. I think at first, you know, he hid it, but I, Steve wasn't great at hiding things. He, he just, I think that he didn't have that, like the duality that a lot of people, you know, w- could create and mm-hmm. to where they can on the surface look like they're doing great. And then all, you know, behind the scenes were or partying or into whatever they're into. And so he, he, you know, and I, I think just the decision-making, you know, just made some decisions that, that weren't great and, and wasn't, you know, doing things that were, were good. So I, I mean, my parents were, were keen to it pretty quick because mm-hmm. he, you know, overdosed and they, they, you know, found out about it. And then it was like problems with the law complaints from parents and failing in school and all these things just and then he went to both high schools that my parents worked at that my mom worked at and that my dad worked at so they were pretty in the know with how he was doing um in school and then kind of like who he was hanging around with so they knew and and were trying to work with him and, and trying to help him as best they could yeah so what were like some of the things that you remember them doing to try to help him I think, you know, they got a tutor for him for school. We're trying to help him out with that, you know, and this was back in, you know, it's all kind of blurs together. You know, this was a long time ago, but I think that they were trying to surround him with good people and tie him up with good, you know, some good friends. He tended to drift towards people that were, you know, were into partying and and drinking and getting high and not going to class and, and all that stuff. And so they, you know, they, I, they really tried everything that they could do to help him out. They found out through an assessment that he, you know, he's ADD and that was kind of devastating for them. And, and, you know, they, they worked with him, got him on some medication and, and tried to work, work with that. But yeah, I think over the course of it. He went to Hawaii, right? At he one did. Point. Yeah. I mean, prior to that. And you have family. We should set that up too. People. Yeah, I, I, have, I have family, a family in Hawaii. But I mean, even before that, I mean, there was a few major instances of oh, he, he overdosed a few times. I mean, he overdosed. Um, he ran away one time and then took the same, you know, anti-nausea medicine. Overdosed. Some kid found him in a ditch. You know, he was seizing, and so they called the, you know, they called the ambulance. Ambulance picked him up, they, and my parents. You know, they were calling the parents of runaways, trying to figure out like who this kid's parents were. And, you know, two or three sets of parents came by and then my parents came down to the hospital and they identified him. He, you know, was hooked up to tubes and all that stuff. They were pumping his stomach and they're like, hey, do you know what's going on? And, and they said, you know, he's overdosed on this drug before you might, you know, you might want to 
treat him in this way or pump his stomach. And so he came out of that. And I think at that point they got him into a rehab. Um, so we went to a rehab center. I remember that going to visit him at the rehab. Where was one that? One summer. It was, uh, just, I think in, in West Valley, just off of Redwood Road, oh, okay. back in Salt Lake. And I think it was a good experience for him. I think he learned some good tools mm -hmm. and tried to really reframe it. And then I think my parents were trying to. How long was he there? Probably, I'd say at least for the summer. Okay. So at least a couple months, if not a few months. And then he just would fall back into the same pattern, He'd, you know, kind of get clean up. And, and I think he, in this whole time, I mean, he, he was really like a, a devout member of the church, like had a testimony, really believed like in doing the right do, things. Like yeah. he was, he was trying to do the right things, but you know, there were, there was, it was challenging for him. It's hard for him to, like the temptations were strong and, and just kind of got, you know, my mom would always be like, don't get sucked in, don't get sucked into the, you know, the bad groups or the friends or the, don't get sucked into the, you know, the drugs or whatever. And he just kind of would always find his way back to that. And then. Um, so like same friends or even just like different friends? Kind of just wherever he went, he yeah. seemed to gravitate towards that. Even when he changed high schools, kind of same deal. He would just, just end, end up around the, the same type of, of people. And you know, I, th I think same, same thing. I mean, I think he overdosed again this time. I, you know, it was on acid. He, he just, I, th I don't, you know, I don't remember the exact circumstances. I think he was frustrated. He's playing football for, for, you know, high school and, and thought he was going to play. He thought he was going to start, but didn't, you know, there's a miscommunication and he just got frustrated and I think went out and, you know, had a bunch of you know, acid in these sugar cubes and just ate them like candy and just overdosed um, and just went out of his mind for probably a good week or so and and was up at the University of Utah in this this you know kind of institute. And it was it was just crazy. We went and visited him and it was me and my brother and he just was like ranting and raving and just completely out of his mind. And it it just was, you know, it was a crazy experience. But even at this point, things like that had happened. Like, I don't want to say frequently, but it was, was kind of just like, that's all I knew was like, oh, there's just, you know, every now, it's every, every three months or so, there's a, there's just a, something crazy happens yeah. or, you know, police are coming by the door and, and, you know, trying to get a hold of us or whatever. And, so Do you remember I, how that felt for you as a kid? You know, I didn't really understand the the gravity of what was happening. But, I mean, we all were, you know, my parents were up there every day. Like, my brother came up. We were praying for him. Um, eventually, he came down. He came off of it. And, you know, at that point, you know, it was trying to figure out, okay, what do we do now? And... And I don't remember exactly what happened. You know, there were some follow-up treatments. I think he over he didn't overdose, but I think he did use acid again and was found kind of roaming the streets. And one of one of his friends, this gal that he had taken to a dance, brought him brought him back to our house and was like, "Hey, I, I found Steve. You know, wandering down Thirty Third, and and he just didn't look like himself. And you know, and so we we kind of got back in touch with the institute that he was up at at University of Utah and. 
and talk to them and what can we do? And, you know, again, came out of it. But at this point, there was just a pattern kind of establishing for him. And then I think my parents were were like, okay, what can we do? How can we get him, you know, into a situation to get him away from all this? So um, I I, I don't know if my timeline's accurate. I, you know, I'm kind of shooting from the hip here, but if, uh, you know, about that time, there was an opportunity you could go with this youth development group to go to Hawaii and pick pineapples for the summer and you made some money and then you're kind of in the, like a youth group structure Mm -hmm. and that type of a scenario. And and I think it was a little bit of an element of like today they've got these groups that, you know, troubled teens or whatnot can go out and do a trek through the desert or something like that. It was along those lines, but they actually did make money um, as well as part of it. So it it was cool. cool. It was run by like members of the church, it was a positive program. It was a good thing for him. He went over with a couple buddies and it, and it was, it was good. There were a few things that happened that were pretty significant that were major that, that changed a lot for him. He got into some trouble there and got into some things that, that I think, you know, affected him for the remainder of his life. And that was, that was really hard for him and for our family, you know, just, just, challenges and, and, you know, drugs and other things. So came back after that. And um, I want to just clarify, cause I know what happened and I know the whole story. There was nothing where he ever harmed someone. There's nothing no. that happened where like he hurt somebody or he committed some crime that like, when you're saying that it's, yeah, these, yeah. these were all it, things that he involved himself in that ended up being hurtful to himself, but he was never the type of person that would like harm another person or anything. No, not, not like that. And that's a good clarification. And I can't remember, he ended up going to Hawaii again for a summer and staying with my cousins over there. And that was a really positive experience for him. I can't remember if that was, if I'm flip-flopping, if he went there first, but again, it was my parents' attempt to just, let's get him out of there. Let's get him around some good people. And my cousin, he had a really positive experience staying with my cousins. I had stayed with my cousins growing up and it just, you know, really good. They're Hawaiian. They're just spirit of aloha, just really, really wonderful, really cool people, like really good, loving people. Every time we're around them, I'm always like, Neil, let's move to Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) They're, they're just so cool. And, and, you know, they, family's a big deal. And I think mm-hmm. that everybody there, all my cousin's friends really had like took Steve under their wing and, and he, he, you know, he got into boxing while he was there. He put on, you know, some weight, some solid weight of, you know, he's got, got some muscle. He's working out. He was out. pretty skinny kid before he was, that, He right? was skinny, but when he got, when he went to Hawaii, he came back, he looked good. I mean, he, you know, I think his confidence was up. He had even like, had, you know, developed a pidgin English accent and was like, you know, it was, it was cool. It was had cool a to see him. Swagger. Had definitely had a swagger. And I mean, it was, he, he did well for a while, but I mm-hmm. think again, the same pattern kind of just fell in, you know, hanging out, doing things that, that weren't taking him in the right direction. Um, and just kind of fell back into, you know, smoking and drinking and, and doing drugs. Um, and, and got into some trouble. I, my parents went out of town one summer and you know they there were some some friends over lots of friends yeah 
and you know they they were there was alcohol and and there was you know there was drugs and just not a good situation and so the you know it got broken up by the police and he basically he got cited you know just a a shopping list of offenses because he was over 18 because at the time, yeah, I, th- I think he was over 18. Okay. And so it was like, you know, distributing alcohol to minors. And I don't even remember, but it, it, he just got hit. And my parents, my parents were like, they were by no means pushovers. And so they were, their whole position was like, if you get yourself into trouble, you got to pay your way out. And if it means you can't pay your way out, then you go to jail. And And so that's kind of... That's the approach they took, and and eventually he did, you know, he got sentenced. He went to jail. He spent, I think, six months in jail, and it, it just was a rough time for him. And so this is, I mean, there's just a there's so much more to it, but it, but these are just kind of the main things I remember. Yeah, and just a lot of turmoil, just a lot of, I, I mean, trying to do good things and trying to be in the right place, and everybody trying to help him. But I think, you know, ultimately ran into situations that that just, I guess, were, were baffling, you know, and, and trying to work through. So do you remember him ever talking to you about, like, I want to quit or I'm trying to get better? Or did All you guys time. have conversations all like that? All the time. So, I mean, in the midst of this, I would go down and shoot pool with him and he'd tell me all. He, he was very open with me and tell me exactly what was going on. He'd be like, yeah, I'm you know, I've got this court date coming up and this is what's going on and, you know, or whatever the case may be. But it was always like, there was always talking about uh, like belief in God and like trying to do the right thing and, you know, trying to get better and stopping smoking and working even, you know, his friends that were trying to quit. He's like, yeah, I'm working with mine and my buddies. We're trying to quit together you know, and, and he, I would, he would follow up with me all the time. He'd, I'd see him and be like, Hey man, I haven't had a cigarette in like, you know, 15 days. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. And, oh, that's you know, cool. he was really trying to make positive changes in his life. Um, but man, it, it just was tough. It was, did it was he tough ever, do you, and I've never even asked you this, but did he ever have like exposure to a 12 step program? Do you know? Not that I know of. I know well, the rehab he went to, I think he used, I think it was some, just some tools. Yeah. From what he, I don't think he ever did any, anything 12 step wise. Yeah. It's like a bummer kind of to think about that. Like what could have, yeah. maybe that could have helped him. do these things like partying alcohol drugs stuff like that did that ever make you because you know you said several times in the beginning like I just wanted to be just like my brothers like watching Steve go through this did you ever go like oh that's cool like I want to be doing like cool kid stuff like him and I go think, party or I go think prior to that I mean from what I had seen and and then keep in mind I mean this is like I'm like 11 you know 10 11 12 years mm-hmm. old super impressionable and I'm seeing all of this and I'm, you know, witnessing like these parties. I'm, you know, I was there when, when that was going down, I, when the cops broke it up, like all of that, I saw 
the whole thing mm-hmm. kind of unfolds. So, I mean, prior to things getting really bad, honestly, I look at that and I'm like, man, I was, I was pretty teed up. Like, and even just the kids I was hanging out with at the time on my own were like, you know, older kids that weren't, weren't into good things. And, and, you know, I think I was teed up to go that direction for sure for the party scene. Like, I, I mean, I'd seen it, I knew it, understood it, hung out with kids, was around it a lot. And so, you know, I think it would have been just a matter of time mm-hmm. to where I would have gotten into that pretty so, quick. So what happened? So, um, to keep you from that. <laughs> well, so basically, yeah. So, I mean, I saw everything kind of just come crashing down. I saw, I saw both sides of it. I saw, you know, the party scene and everybody into that and laughing and loving, you know, loving and having a good time. But then I just saw the turmoil that that caused and what happened and what happened to people and trouble and all these things. And then eventually like Steve, it was totally random. We're sitting up in my kitchen one day and he sits me down and he's just super serious. And he's like, Hey, like we're talking about, I don't know. He started talking to me, I think about goals and stuff that I want to do. And then he got into, he's like, you know what? Drugs and alcohol, like all this stuff. He's like ruined my life in a lot of ways and, and have changed me for, for the worse. He's like, I want you, I want you to promise me you'll never drink alcohol, take drugs, you know, smoke, do these things like commit to me right now, you know, like hard committed me. And he'd, he'd never done anything like that before ever. And so I was probably like 11 or maybe 12 at the time. And I was like, all right, man, like, yeah, I I won't do it. I won't do it. And, and so he committed me to that. And then I think it was, you know, within six months or a year, I remember coming home from a, a dentist appointment with my mom and, and, you know, Steve at that point, I think it, he'd graduated high school, which was a great thing. Like things were, were kind of looking up. I think he'd, you know, still owed some money on some tickets and had a job, right? Had, yeah, had like a decent job for a kid just out of school, like worked for a marketing company. Like things were looking up and, and, and thought that, you know, he, he was kind of pulling out of it. And then coming home, I just pulled up to my house and there were just cop cars everywhere. There's probably like 15 cop cars and then just one, you know, like EMT ambulance vehicle. And I just was like, what is going on? They're like, you know, taping off with the yellow tape, taping off our house. And I'm like, my dad had a back, you know, hurt his back at the time. I'm like, man, I wonder if I told, told my mom, I'm like, I wonder if dad like fell down the stairs or something. And so we're, we're super concerned. We get out of the car, you know officer greets my mom. My mom's like, this is my house. You know, what's happening? What's happening? And she just starts, you know, grilling this officer and he's kind of like, well, you know, are you the mother? And finally she's like, yes, I'm his mother. I need to know what happened. And, and I just total blindsided, like, I will never forget this. He just very like tried to say it very calmly. He's like, there's been a shooting. And I just remember my mind just, just racing. I just was like, chaos in my mind and he 
And then he's like, son, and my mom's like, who is it? Is anybody hurt? Is everyone okay? And, and then he's like the, you know, the 19 year old. And she's like, Steven, my son, Steven, is he okay? And then I could tell he was hesitating. He just kind of was holding back, holding back. And then she's like, I need you to tell me right now, is he okay? And then he, he just kind of stopped, looked at my mom and he's like, no, ma'am, he is deceased. And I remember like, like just unbelievable, like out of body shock, like my mind just didn't even comprehend. I, I think I legitimately was in shock. And and we I'm sure. We walked around to the front of the house and just had to wait outside. My dad and my brother were still inside. And, you know, they came out. My dad came out first. You know, he gave me a, he just gave me this huge embrace. He just held me for a while and, you know, it was just like, you know, whispered, he's like, Your brother's dead. And it still didn't hit me. Like I still just stared. I wasn't crying or anything like that. I just, I just, I just could not believe what was happening. So then, you know, we, we had to wait, you know, outside of our house and there's neighbors all around. There's people hanging out, wondering what's going on. And everyone's kind of asking like, what's going on? What's going on to the police? And finally my, you know, my church young men's group leader or young men's leader at the time, like kind of broke through the crowd and came up to me, you know, he's like, what's going on? What happened? And he got me. And I remember, I think it wasn't until I had to tell somebody that it was. Tell me his first name. Mark. Mark. That's right. Yeah. Mark Shirtliff. He actually became the attorney general in Utah eventually. Just always have a special place in my heart for that guy. But, but he, he came up and he's like, what, what happened? And I, I, I remember I, I went to tell him and I think that's when it sat in. And I was like, it's Steve. And then I just, I just broke down and just started bawling. And, and, you know, he gave me a big hug. And there were some other members of my neighborhood that were there. And he gave me a big hug. And, and it just, just chaos in my mind. Like I just couldn't fathom. I couldn't understand what did, what was happening. And in the way, you know, he shot himself and the, the way that it kind of happened and, you know, I think he fired off a few rounds before he actually committed. And so it it looked suspicious. And so they did a full police investigation. Like we all got taken back to the, to the, you know, the local police department and were questioned one by one. We were like, couldn't talk to each other, you know, and they didn't, they didn't really question me. I was pretty young at the time, but my, my parents, my dad and my brother got full ballistic test to see if they'd fired a gun like they were home at the time they weren't they came home after the fact so my brother you know steve was home by himself. he was home by himself i think he didn't somebody saw him earlier that day so i think he just didn't go to work that day and then sometime in the afternoon is when it happened and my brother came home from high school you know went down and was in his room and then my dad came home um and then, you know, discovered what had happened. And, and so they were, it was just a crazy time. We didn't even really know what had happened. But after that, we eventually found out, you know, like, yeah, it was a suicide. Um, was that, I mean, were you even old enough to think that at first? Or did you think like someone had shot him? Or do you even For remember? a few days, I think we all kind of wondered and I remember thinking, I'm like, I, I just didn't know what to think. 
I was, I was kind of like, you know, I didn't think that he would, I don't, I didn't think he was the type of person that would commit suicide. It wouldn't Mm -hmm. have crossed my mind. Now looking back, all of the signs are there. It's like, you know, depression, challenges in life. Like he had lost a friend earlier that year that he was, you know, still struggling or grieving about like family issues, you know, at home and, and, you know, with my parents trying to work with him and all this stuff, like so, so, so much that I look back and I'm like, man, I, that just is overwhelming how much challenge he was faced with. Mm -hmm. So at the time I was like, but I, at the time I didn't see it. And so, you know, it was, it was kind of up in the air for about a week, but finally they, they were like, all right, yeah, it was a suicide. And, you know, my mom looked through all of like the police reports and, evidence and all that stuff from the detective. And it was just, it was just crazy. It was just a crazy, crazy time. And I mean, and I, I think I felt kind of like the lost, like lost in the shuffle a little bit. I was kind of younger and like people were over, like talking to my parents and my mom, especially, and the Bishop was over. And, and I, I think just the, the culture in my family was like, just, you don't talk about it. And, and so that's kind of just how you deal with things. And so, I mean, I think I took one day off of school and then went back. My, My brother, gosh. Dave, who, you know, a few years older than me, he went back the next day and like people just looked at him like he was a ghost. They're like, dude, what are you doing here? Yeah. But I think, you know. Did was, you guys, do you remember, like, did you sleep in your house that night? Did you go somewhere No, else? so they were still finishing up the investigation. So we had to sleep in my cousin's house around the corner. So we stayed there. And then it wasn't until like the next day that we could go back uh-huh. into our house. And, you know, they'd, they'd kind of done their investigation and, you know, removed everything. And, and but it was, it was, yeah, it just was chaotic. It was just a crazy, just... Okay, I've time. never asked you this either, but was there ever a time when you were like afraid to be in your house or go in that room or did it always just feel like home? Like was it, it was okay? Not, it was a little it, it was a little weird. Like I, I I mean, you know, obviously they fixed everything and mm-hmm. and totally removed everything and down to the cement floor. Like it, it was all, you know, and then we 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 kind of repaired it, but it always it always felt a little weird. And I, and I mean, I think it kind of looking back, like I, later that year, and it's, it's kind of weird to even think about, but I had moved down into that room. Isn't that the room you were staying in when we met? Um, or was that a different room? Maybe. You, you were sleeping in the basement when we met. Yeah, probably one of those. Which sounds those worse rooms. than, <laughs> yeah. he was saving money to buy a house, not just. I was living with my parents yeah, straight up. He was, you know. but. <laughs> He bought a house Ain't right no after we met, that. so it's, it's okay. Anyway, um, sorry. But but yeah, no, that I mean, they're always, you know, there's always that part you just kind of know, like what happened there, and there's a lot of emotion around that. But I think you, 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 you move forward, mm-hmm. and and you move past that part, and you know, from a spiritual standpoint, my dad, you know, prayed and and you know, used what we would would refer to as the priesthood to, to kind of like give a priesthood blessing on, on the room to, you know, kind of re, I guess, dedicate that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, that, that part of it, you know, I, I think I'd move past 
But okay, I want to ask you now about what like how that was for you as a kid and what was helpful and what wasn't and talk about you know things that people said to you that you remember going to school uh, or church it, it or was, neighbors or anything it was so that just those following three you know four years were so crazy for me i think that i kind of I don't know. I didn't really know how to handle it, honestly. I mean, I came back. I talked to the school account. They called me into the school counselor a couple of times. I talked to him a little bit about, you know, stuff. But it, I just didn't really know how to – I kind of turned inward, honestly. I think I did probably the opposite of what you should do. And you, know, and you were 13 I was at 12 at the time and turning 13 that year, later and that it, year. it happened on March – March 6th, so okay. 1995. Um, I was going into, yeah, I was the end of sixth grade and then going into seventh grade. So that was pivotal time. So back to your question for me, yeah, I was teed up to be, you know, into the party scene pretty hard Mm -hmm. and that happened. And that commitment that I made to my brother, that was a correction. I think that kept me and, and I was solid after that, you know, later on that year, had a lot of close friends that were starting to drink, starting to smoke weed, you know, getting into partying. And and I had told the story and they all knew me. They're like, all right, Neil's the dude that doesn't party. And, mm-hmm. and so I tried. your friends and, all knew you had promised Steve yeah. that you and would they, do Yeah, and they were cool. They, like, supported that and respected that. And, and you know, I think, I think it was a positive influence even for them. And so that was one thing that I kind of had held on to and, and a lesson that I'd focused on on the positive to make sense of it. But I still was just struggling. And it just, yeah, there's just a lot of crazy. I, I think the school counselor had come in after it had happened and in, in the day that I was gone from school and it talked to everybody and said, hey, you know, he might lash out when he comes back or might be reserved. Like, here's how you need to be around Neil. And I think the most helpful thing that I can remember is people, a lot of people were just really kind to me. Like I was kind of a punk kid. I was was straight up. I wasn't very cool. It's hard to picture because if you know Neil, he is the kindest person and everybody will identify that his personality in that way. Like, He's so nice, so kind to everyone. So it's it's like hard for me to even picture him being like a Back bully. then, I just wanted to be cool so bad that I would just do anything to try and look. It was it's it's sad really to look back. <laughs> I just wanted that validation to be like tough and cool and and was a jerk, man. I I, I was a bully. I I and I didn't you know, believe this about you until I went to your twenty year high school reunion and some girl came up to him and was like in tears. About I don't even remember how that it was. Car- yeah, it's Carter's funeral, I think, is when it. No, babe, friends. before Carter's funeral at your reunion at your high school reunion, there was some girl there too. Who... Probably, <laughs> I feel bad honestly, and this is the opportunity that I feel like maybe I get. Like, hey, I regret heavily. I mean, it sounds kind of dumb, but but I've learned since that things that happen to you in middle school, you know, elementary school or whatever if you're bullied or you have a negative experience, like that impacts you. And mm-hmm. a lot of instances sets you up for the rest of your life with yes. like faulty core beliefs or negative complexes. And I know for a fact, I can, like, I probably 
set, you know, things for people that, that are, are negatively impacting them to this day. So I, I feel bad about that, well, but, but it's besides but the point. Let's um, go back to the positive. Sorry. I, I just, no, 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 you're fine. Say that. I, I just am saying that like, it's hard to believe that you were that way because you're just known to be like such a kind person now. Yeah. I think honestly, this experience probably formulated a lot of that just mellowing out. Yeah. But no, people were kind to me and nice to me. I think I, I did have one instance where it was somebody that I was friends with and they said it was in passing, like we got in some argument or something and it was kind of, he said it like under his breath as he's walking away. It was just some dumb argument. He's like, at least my brother's not stupid enough to kill himself. And I just remember oh being gosh. like, did I hear that correctly? Like what? Like, and then kind of like ashamed at the same time and embarrassed. And like, so he's looking back now. I'm like, he just, it was just something stupid. He said, you know, in a moment of anger and, and really just kids too. just, kids just, just kids being things. kids. And it was someone that I'd been friends with. Um, but it turned out, it blew up into this big situation. And, you know, I, I, I acted poorly and, and, you know, didn't respond well from my standpoint and, and, you Most know, people would not respond well, well. was, you know, physical with him. And I think my friends heard and like everyone freaked out about it. And, you know, this kid, I think over the next, the course of the next couple of years got bullied because of that. And, and even for me, that's a, a point of regret that I have is I'm like, man, I could have stopped that. I really should have. But I think back to your point of like, what should people say? It's so tough because you don't know what to say in those I moments. Still don't How do know you what respond to, to that? You know, like yeah. that's such a touchy, sensitive subject. I think a question that everyone is either on everyone's mind or a lot of times they'll say it is like, well, why? Like, why did he commit suicide? And I think that that's one that you got to be careful with. I think did that people ask you that. I've, I've been asked that before. Oh. It depends on the relationship and, and the setting. Like mm -hmm. if there's a reason for it or someone close or there's a topic and you're like getting into it. But like at the end of the day, I really honestly, my honest answer to that is I really don't know. Like I have a theory like on this happened, then this happened, then he was in trouble here or this. But at the end of the day, I really don't know. And I won't know until this life is over, like what was going through his mind and what right. happened. Um, and so I think that's a question, you know, you might not want to just throw oh, out wow. there <laughs> like, Hey, like, and I, you know, it depends on your personality, but, but a lot of people are like pretty direct. They'll just be like, Oh wow. Like, and, and with concern, I don't think it's like a trying to be negative, but Most it's people like, people always have, you know, but they're like, Oh, intention. like what, what happened? Or like, you know, that, so, so even saying what happened, that's something that bothered you then or still um, bothers you now? Well, it just put it in a, it puts you in a position to talk about something that you may be uncomfortable talking okay. about. Right. And so you just, I, I think for me, you just want to be careful. And my friends never asked me about it, but I would talk about it, you know. And I now think and that's again. really the key. You and I have yeah. talked about this before that like, me going through a divorce and, you know, you going through what you did. And again, this is just from our perspective and everyone's different, but you and I have talked about this 
multiple times how we both kind of feel like if someone you know that you love, that's a close friend, um, or even not a close friend, is going through something that's really traumatic, like a divorce or someone, a death in the family, or that maybe they just found out that someone's really sick or something. I think the best thing to do is to just love them and not bring it up because everybody is bringing that up to them when they see them because that's the first thing that comes to your mind, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this kid just had this happen. Like, hey, how you yeah, doing? How you doing? Yeah. I think the best thing to do when you come across someone who's going through a really traumatic situation is to just treat them like normal, like to just love them, be kind to them and let them bring it up. Don't you think? I, I think so. Because I mean, I th- like, obviously they, they know most likely they know, you know, like, it's not like right. a, oh my gosh, this person's just acting like it didn't happen. They must not know. It's like, I, <laughs> I knew that everybody knew. Right. You know? And, and so and you said with your, with your close friends, you talked to them when you were ready yeah, to talk to them about when, it. When, yeah. But then kind of to your point of like people being like, well, what happened? People you don't know that well, you don't really want to sit around and talk with them about the details of what just happened anyway. So I kind of feel like in situations like that, just again, only speaking from my own experience and you've kind of agreed with me from and I'll let you kind of say what you think about this. But I just think it's good to just I think it's refreshing to just treat someone like, hey, how's it going, Neil? How's your week? You know, what do you have going on right now? Instead of like. Yeah. Hey, you know, what happened or you yeah, know, whatever. And no, and I agree. I think it was, and it was almost refreshing when people were, were just normal with me right. because I was That's going I mean. through a situation that was so abnormal and so out of control that it was almost nice just to be at school and having friends like hang out with me and, and, you know, trying to, like trying to be more kind and, and just treating me like normal and, and I felt it, and, and I mean, and, and the cool thing as well that's important to note is, you know, as far as a belief in God, and, and this is really what it came down to for me, like, that enabled me to get through this and to, like, develop and and not completely just go off the rails, which there was a temptation to do. But, I mean, you know, there was like spiritually, there was, it was just the support, the love. And I mean, I think it was the culmination probably of a lot of people praying for our family and praying Mm -hmm. for me. Like I remember going, you know, the next day, just feeling like just so much love and joy, like feeling just supported in a way it was crazy because all of this had happened. And, and yet I just felt like just totally lifted up. And that was with, with us for like, with me and with my family and my family said the same thing, like for a long time, for, for several months after it, it happened. Um, so cool. I am like totally feeling the spirit while you're saying that. That's so cool. But there, I mean, and that's one situation. I, I think there are times in life, there are things that I've experienced, and this is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest one where you realize it's all, it's all God. You see a bigger plan. You see the plan of salvation. Like you're taught it and you understand the story, mm-hmm. but it becomes very real when you see somebody, when there's that, someone that close to you passes away 
like suddenly the plan becomes very, very real. It's, it's, you can just, you can almost just touch it. Like you can just see the other side and how everything works and you can feel it. And, and that is really what I think I got from the experience was, was an understanding that like, you know, I'm an eternal being, we're eternal beings. Like this is not, this is just one part of the, uh, you know, one part of one act of, of, a of a play that, that is eternal. So for anyone who doesn't, who's never heard of that, the plan or the plan of salvation, we actually just taught our kids about this tonight for family night. And so what we believe is the plan of salvation or the plan of happiness, I love that term, is that, you know, before this life, this is what we believe. We believe that before this life, we lived with our Heavenly Father, and then we came down to earth to gain a physical body and have this, you know, we're spiritual beings having a physical experience. And then when we die, that's not just the end, but that we go to heaven and then we have a chance to all live together for eternity as families. That's really a core principle of our gospel and what we believe in our church. So that's for anybody who's like, Wow, yeah, that what sounds, is that? That's what that it, sounds good. It feels good. Like, yeah. what is that? What are they talking about? That's what that is. So, and and for me, it became very, very real. And and I don't know. It was it was just a powerful experience. So I want to go back to you said that was such a cool thing that you shared about. You could feel people's prayers. Do you like that when? Do you feel like that's helpful when someone says like, "Hey, we're praying for you"? I mean, I think that's fine. I I mean, it, it just depends on what state you're in and like the situation, but, but, you know, yeah, I, I think that that's fine. What about when people would say, cause I, oh, I never quite know what to do with this. Like if people say like, Hey, I'm sorry. Like I've heard that people one made say me feel like, kind of bad, honestly. Yeah. I've heard it, people say that. It shouldn't, it shouldn't feel that way, but I had a really close friend say that to me. And she's like, hey, I'm sorry about your brother. And I just I just felt like it just brought everything up, you know. And it was like the day after it happened. And she was, it was meant in such a just like, hey, I'm really just trying to be supportive here. But but it, I think it just kind of took it back. It took me back into the craziness and the loss and all that stuff. When I was at school and I felt like I had gotten away from that and I felt like I was somewhat in a normal situation again i think it just so this, took me back yeah this is what we were just barely talking about like just treat people normal you know let them bring it up kind of a thing yeah instead of because i would picture you walking down the hallway and then someone being like hey i'm so sorry and you're just like oh my gosh yeah like, i don't really want to think about that or deal with that in a social situation right now where yeah. i'm just trying to function. And, and there's like and it sounds weird but there's kind of like I don't know. I was grew up in a family where you, you kind of don't rock the boat. Like you don't want to be like needy or, or show that you need help. But being in this situation, like, like, yeah, you've gone through a lot. Like people you're on the, people are trying to reach out and be of service and help. And you're super vulnerable. And so I felt some, you know, you just felt kind of almost shameful. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm good. Like I just like, wanted to shake off. it off. Like, Hey, don't let's just not even focus on that. Like I, let's just keep going and, and doing what we're doing. I don't, I don't want to, 
talk about it. I know this is like uncomfortable, but I still, I still want you, cause I know it will help people, even me. Like, I still want you to say some things that you are like, maybe you don't say that. Like, I know we've talked about before things like, oh, they're in a better place. Not a great thing to say, right? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think people that have question things like, you know, if they bring up like, oh, well, in your faith, like that means you're going to hell, right? Like you commit oh suicide gosh. or, or even people are maybe members of, of our faith that say that or make a quick judgment call on it. Or I think anything that's kind of judgmental towards yeah. the person is like super offensive, like just hurtful or like make a quick judgment on like, you know, you, you're telling a story and you're like, oh yeah, they got into drugs and like, oh, well that's, that's why they committed suicide, you know, or like that's where that goes or, or, you know, like a hard, fast judgment based yeah. on a very limited knowledge. Like that's super offensive. And, and on that note, I mean, I think that's a question that, that, that maybe a lot of people have is like, well, how does that work? I mean, if, if someone dies, commit suicide, like how is their life? If you, if you have a belief in the afterlife, what's their status, you know, like, or what, how, where are they at? And there was a quote, that my bishop at the time at our at my brother's funeral shared. And that you're, the bishop is like the he's like congregation the pastor leader. or the leader right. of your congregation, and, and so this is one quote that he brought up, and it was by one of the leaders of our church. Um, uh, his name's Bruce R. McConkie. He's he's pretty you know a big name in the doctrines of the church. He's very well known for. You know, he's, yeah, very, very savvy. But this is one of the things, and this, this, I didn't at the time really sink in what it meant. But as I got older, I'm like, oh, I get it, you know, and it it gave me some light. But but he said, you know, in regard to people or someone who commits suicide, he, he says this, he says, persons subject to great stresses may lose control of themselves and become mentally clouded to the point that they are no longer accountable for their acts. Such are not to be condemned for taking their own lives. It should also be remembered that judgment is the Lord's. He knows mm-hmm. the thoughts, intents, and abilities of men, and he, in his infinite wisdom, will make all things right in due course. So that, I love that. basically, you know, I take a lot of comfort in that. I believe that Christ will be our judge. He has been through everything and he understands what it means to face temptation challenges, you name it and overcome them perfectly. And so that's the person that I want judging me, my family, my brother. Um, and so in those situations, like, yeah, you know, posing that type of a question or maybe drawing a quick conclusion that can be super hurtful. Yeah. Okay. So now on a positive note, like, what are some what are some good things that someone can say or do or like give me some examples of like hey if you know someone who goes through this what yeah do you think? that's a good question we were on the receiving end of like the most amazing amount of service and outpouring and like my dad took a picture of it and there was like a whole table of like flowers and cards and his high school class had made him, I think it was a hundred or a thousand paper cranes. It's like a symbol of peace or something like that. I I can't remember the meaning, but it meant something. And 
people just poured out so much love. One is kind of a funny thing. I, I couldn't eat for a while. Like I just didn't have a desire to eat. Like it just, I just couldn't. Right. I'm um, sure that's super Nothing normal. sounded good. Yeah. But the bishop's wife brought over this bin of chocolate chip cookies and they were so good. And I just pounded a bunch of chocolate chip cookies. And like, I <laughs> still like remember you. that. Neil loves chocolate I chip love cookies chocolate more chip than cookies. anyone I've ever met. <laughs> that was the one thing that I could, that I've like had a desire to eat. But like, I think, I think loving people, I think taking down those barriers and reaching out and loving kindness, you know, from the heart. And just maybe just a little, even an act to mm-hmm. show that you care goes a long way. And I remember when I was in high school, I had a, a good friend who lost his brother in an auto accident. And, and it was the same type of deal. I think you don't really know how to approach that. Right. But because I'd been through that situation, I remember I was talking to his girlfriend who was a friend of mine at the time. And I'm like, hey, I really just want to go by. And, and talk to him. And she's like, you should do it. Like no one's come by yet. And, and, you know, it's kind of sad. And so I went and I just knocked on his door and, you know, just took a minute and gave him a hug and was like, Hey man, I love you. Like, I know what you're going through. And, you know, just gave him some things and shared my experience of what I went through with my brother. And, mm-hmm. and it was a like, I knew it meant a lot to him, but yeah. like years later, he, he wrote me this letter and was like, hey, man, I remember when you did that. And it had such an impact on me and helped me so much. And it just made me realize, like, it was a small thing. It was a quick, but it was from the heart. And I understood and I could relate and sympathize. And so I think especially, especially if you have gone through the same thing or similar, you have an ability to be sympathetic to that person mm-hmm. to where you have more of a chance to come in and really have a connect. Yeah. You know, it's not, there's something about it. it. When, when you've been through it, you don't have so many walls up towards somebody who has been through it. You're like, okay, you get it. You get right. what's going on. So, but yeah, I think, you know, simple acts of service, simple, you know, we talk about, in, in our church ministering. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking ministering. about this whole that's, time, That's too. it. You, you, like, that is, that's the core essence of it. Right, and know, that's from what, the heart, you if know? you think about what Jesus Christ would do, that's what he would exactly do. what he would do. Yeah, he would, and and I want to clarify, too, when I said a minute ago, like, don't bring it up. I just mean, like, in a social situation where there's, like, a lot of people around or whatever, but this is the opposite of that. This is, like, going out of your way and taking time and dropping something off, drop writing a note, seeing someone in person, whatever feels like appropriate with your relationship and level. And that's huge. I remember people being there. I remember my friend's mom, you know, coming to the funeral and being there at the end and she, you know, giving me a big hug and like people showing up there, just the fact that they were there and, and, their and time. that they, yeah. that they took the time to come and be there. Like they didn't even, you know, I didn't even get a chance to talk to them. But the fact that they were there showed that support for me. I mean, that's, that's huge. That, that's a big thing that, that, you know, helped a lot and, and continue yeah. to help. So with your parents, what do you, do you, because I think it's different for a kid, right? And then parents, 
with your parents, did you see anything different or was it kind of the same thing? They, yeah, they were supported, lots of support from them, lots of counsel. I mean, my mom, you know, went, went off and sought all kinds of different, you know, help and counselors. And, you know, she really, really, it took her on a, on a journey of, of, you know, searching and, and learning. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she wrote out his whole biography and, you know, and I think you just, it just takes a lot of time to get over that. And, and I, and honestly, I don't think you ever 100, I don't know, for me, you, you, you get, you're healed from it. I, I believe you can be healed from it, but I, I mean, I don't know that you ever just get over it. Get over it. No. I mean, I, yeah. I think there's too many unknowns and like, I, I really don't understand. I still don't think that I could sit down and say, I 100% understand what happened and why, you know, I, I think I have. I think even if it was a death where it was like a car accident and you were there and you saw everything, you probably still wouldn't get over it. You wouldn't. Yeah. You, know you, you kind of, you kind of, it's always the with family you, but member. I think it just, it does require ongoing faith and understanding and paying attention to truth and, and knowing that if you're feeling something negative, that that's not from God, you know, I think yeah. that, that that can, can be played into, but but I think it just takes time. I mean, I, but I look at where my family's at now and I look at how people have changed. I mean, I feel like they're people just completely different. I mean, my brother, who's just older than me, you know, he he served a mission a couple of years after that, which, you know, I, I don't know that that was a direction that he was, was planning on at the time. And that completely changed the course of his life and completely changed the course of my life. I ended up serving, I, I you know, I, I wasn't 100% sure, but I think seeing him, you know, go on his mission and the experiences that he had and then the person, more specifically, the person that he was when he came back mm-hmm. was complete night and day. And I was like, man, I want that. I want to be like I remember that. you telling me about how when Dave came home and was just like so friendly and like so chill and you were like... Oh it, was, it was weird. We had to like work it out. I remember he came and sat in my room. He's like, hey, what's up, man? Like, how are yeah. you doing? And I was like, uh. You're not here to beat me up? And then he's like, hey, dude, you know, I know this is weird and our family has just not been like that, but I want to have a friendship with you. Like, I want to be close. And and that was, I was like, so wow, cool. you know, and, and I wanted that. And it changed. It changed our family. And I look at my dad and the person that he is now just he's I've always had a huge respect and love for my dad that guy is just absolutely stellar and incredible but I think especially now after going through that whole process just the love the compassion and the charity that he has for other people is is so much greater now and just the way that that he has changed he's Um, done some really cool things like he went to the prison and he worked out at the Utah State Prison for a while and would, you know, would, would advocate for inmates who were in school and trying to clean up their lives and get back out into a positive situation. He'd help them kind of with that process and mm-hmm. just done done a lot of really cool, cool things to, to serve and, and develop other people, you know. And, and I think I overall, I think you just have more of a love and a charity for people. When she it really go through, kind of breaks down it, some it barriers takes of like the superficial the, in life. Yeah, right? it takes it cuts through all the just 
you know, stuff of mm-hmm. life and you really focus on what matters and it's, and it's people and it's relationships and, and loving other people. And I, and I've seen the same thing happen to people who've gone through major, major challenges in their life of like surviving cancer right. or a death in their family or, you know, what addiction recovery, like the same type of thing. Like there is a, a calm, peaceful assurance and ability and the kind of an attitude of letting go and trusting in God that is, is almost unique to people who have been through something major right? and, and who are, have an understanding of that, you know, not to say we all can't have that, but, but I think you can see it. I feel like people who listen to this interview or who just have curiosity about this, maybe they have someone in their family who's kind of on this same path are going to be asking themselves or maybe would want to ask you if they had the opportunity right now. Like what, is there any, you know, there's suicide prevention is a hot topic. Is there anything that you feel like you wish you would have known or that your family has talked about like, oh, we could have done this differently? Or do people ask you about that? And is that something that like you ever offer advice on? About prevention or like looking back, would you have done something differently? Both, either. Whatever you have to say about that. I think a couple things. As far as prevention and information, I just looked on my my app, Mm -hmm. like basically LDS.org or well, Mormon, uh, I don't know what they're calling it now. I think it's still Mormon.org. They're going to revise it. But basically there's a section, a self-life help, and there's a whole like section on suicide. And Elder Renlund does some really cool videos and he talks Mm -hmm. through it. I mean, there are a lot of resources through the, the church and just in general about prevention that are really good and what you can do and understanding how that works. As far as that's a good question about one of the things that I think a lot of people that you feel that comes up is a lot of guilt that people have. And, and what could I have, could I have done something differently? Could I, maybe if I had just talked to this person, maybe if I had just taken time with this person, maybe if I had not done this, maybe if I'd not done that, maybe if this didn't happen, then he wouldn't have died or yeah. she wouldn't have died or whatever. Like that's the part of it where it, it takes letting go and just recognizing and and respecting the fact that I don't know what happened. I don't understand fully what went into that choice. And really at the end of the day, it was his agency and the decision that he made. And not even God can intervene on someone's agency. If they choose something, then they're, you know, then then that's their choice and, and he respects that. And so recognizing that that's someone's choice and not getting caught up in the, I could have done something to stop it, or I could have done this or that. And, and again, circumstances are different. Right. But at the end of the day, I think letting go of that type of thinking, because that can drive major, major guilt and drive issues later on. Right. Drive addictions, drive alcoholism, drive drive you to places and and paths that you don't want to go because you're caught in that guilt of what, you know, maybe I could have done something to change the outcome. But no, there's a lot of good resources. Um, There's a lot of good articles about what you can do. 
I just want to say this too. The National Suicide Prevention Line that's open 24 hours a day is 1-800-273-8255. And that's something that is available to anyone, anytime, any faith denomination, you know, that's for anybody. You know? Anyone can call. And I think honestly, it, it's, it's about, as with any challenge that as we've talked through a lot of these, like it's about having a conversation, getting, not isolating, not, right. you know, turning, turning in, but turning out and being open with your feelings and talking through it. That's something that I wish I would have done more of is be open and communicate how I was feeling, even though it's really, really challenging to do so. Um, and you know, it, it does take and, and, and taking an action that's opposite to what you feel like doing at the time. Um, but no, that's a good, it's a good question. Is there anything else like that you want to share in regard to that or anything else that I didn't ask you before I ask my last question? I don't, think so those are kind of the main the main ones that I can think of um just off the top of my head but yeah go ahead okay so my last question is when someone dies what's helpful to you as far as like not feeling like they're gone like and I've heard before to that it's not good to just never mention their name again like I think some people feel like oh if I ever like bring up a memory or mention this person's name, it's going to make their family feel bad. But what's your opinion on that? Is that helpful to you if someone says like, hey, wouldn't have Steve, wouldn't Steve have liked this? Or like, remember that time that we did this with Steve? Like, were those things helpful to you? Or what do you, what are your opinions yeah, and thoughts on that? I mean, I think, I think obviously, you know, that person was and still is, in my opinion, a part of the family or my family. Right. And so we talk about him in the, in the present mm -hmm. and, and also, you know, like, yeah, back when this happened or whatever. And so I think, I think it is important to, you know, there was a kind of an ongoing different things that, you know, my mom would, would talk about or bring up or, um, any of us would do. I think that, you know, a lot of subsequent church talks and testimonies included, that mm -hmm. included that experience and and I think that that was really healing to 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 put a positive you know to to accentuate the reality of the you know the positive relationship and the family and and all of these things I think it's easy in that situation you can paint it either way you mm -hmm. can paint it it's pretty easy to look at that and and really just focus on the negative and it's it's just a horrible thing and you know can overwhelm you. But I think you can also pick out of it. And this is the key. I, for me at least was there are lessons in that experience that I couldn't have learned any other way. And so if I can pick those out and figure out what those are and focus on that and have that become my takeaway and then have that change and affect me in a way that brings me closer to God and, and helps me develop into the person that I want to be. That's, that's the, the point, you know, if I negate that and take that out, then it, then it's like, it's just a crappy experience. It's a crappy thing that happened. It's all kind of for, for not, you know, there's no meaning behind it. So deriving a meaning out of it really for me was huge. And a lot of it had to do with the, you know, not partying and not doing drugs. Mm -hmm. 
Which your life easily could have gone in that direction. I, I, mean, I think it would have. We've been honestly. really open on my blog and social media about your struggle in the past with addiction. Easily could have gone. Oh into yeah, it, it would have been. It w- drugs and alcohol. I, you know, I just I didn't pick those avenues because of that reason. But I think as far as the addictive nature, it was all there. And so right. because I think honestly. I look at what he committed me to, what Steve committed me to, and I, I really think that it, it saved my life, mm-hmm. literally. I agree. I, I don't know that I would be here right now had that not have happened or gotten married or, you know, had kids or whatever, be functional, um, had that not have happened. And so I think deriving lessons and deriving a meaning out of that and then living by that positive meaning and sharing that with other people is probably the most healing thing um, and a lot of that's wrapped up in faith and, and, and in God and, and taking positivity from the situation. That's really cool. Okay. And then lastly, just if you could go back and tell your 13-year-old self something that would have been like comforting or, you know, like what what do you wish you could have told yourself back then like when all of this happened uh that is that's just a a good question it's a really tough question to to know i mean i think that it's okay to to not understand it's okay to to not be okay i guess like mm-hmm. i just had this feeling of like i just you know i got to brush it brush it off or like disconnect from it or like it's okay to talk about it it's okay to 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 hurt about it it's okay to have feelings about it it's okay it's it's okay to talk to your parents about how you're feeling and you should talk to your parents like continuously I don't think I really talked to my parents or my mom or really opened up about it until like I don't know 10 years later probably or well not 10 I, I was about 17 or so when I talked to my mom or 18 and I finally had like a very open, like long conversation about it and figured out a bunch of stuff that helped me. But, you know, it's okay. You know, it's going to be okay. I think at the end of the day, like there's an underlying understanding that there's something greater at work. There's a bigger plan you don't see. And it's, it's going, it's going to be okay. Like this will all make sense at some point and come back around and you will be a better person for going through this. It will get you to where you need to be if you don't turn away and, and get frustrated and, and choose to, to push away from, from God and everybody else. Yeah. Um, something along those lines. That's what I would say. Well, it's pretty cool to look at like, the span of the rest of your life and see that you really did take that commitment to him to Steve so seriously and that it did just change the course of your life that one conversation with him and that you know even though this was a super hard thing that his death really was something that although it obviously had a really you know painful impact it also had a really positive impact on rest of your life yeah so. yeah changed it you know changed it for the better and helped me to become who i am in and a positive like way everyone in your family is kinder softer more compassionate more giving more all of those really good things yeah 
I would absolutely say uh, I agree with that. Well, thanks for being willing to open up about this. This is the most we've ever talked about this. Yeah, isn't that, that's kind of weird. It's kind of weird, but it's cool. I mean, obviously we've had many, many conversations about it in the nine years, almost ten, that we've been together. But But this was just like a special opportunity to really like dig deep into this and I learned a lot and I'm sure a lot of other people will learn a lot from this so thanks for being willing to share this with everybody absolutely thanks so much for listening to mint arrow messages make sure you follow us on instagram at mint arrow subscribe to our apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us and to get show notes go to mintarrow.com podcast and you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox and we'll email you every time there's a new episode